welcome back to the Scouting God podcast. In this podcast, we're going to try to read all the Marabesh books that Scouting has to offer. In this episode, we're going to be reading Citizenship in the Nation. This is part two, so if you're following along, we're on page 25. Now, let's begin. So, government. The founders of the United States, concerned with the political abuse of authority, created a representative government that divided the duties among three branches, legislative, executive, and judicial. The separation of powers and systems of checks and balances prevented any one branch from becoming too powerful. Legislative. The Constitution established a binomial two-chamber legislature consisting of the Senate and the House of Representatives, so that one chamber might be a check on the other. The Senate has 100 members. Two senators are elected from each state. The House of Representatives has 435 members. The number of representatives from each state is based on the population of that state, according to the last sentence. This plan, which was a result of compromise at the Constitutional Convention of 1787, ensures that United States are represented in the Senate as co-equal members of the Union and in the House of Democratically Proportional to the Populations. Senators are elected to six-year terms. Members of the House are elected in two-year terms. Each term of Congress, numbered consecutively, lasts two years with a new term beginning, according to the 20th Amendment. At noon on the third day of January of every odd-number year, voters elect senators in statewide elections and elect members of the House from their congregational districts. Executive. The president's chief responsibility is to enforce and administer the laws, but the office carries other responsibilities as well. The Constitution gives this president the express powers to 1. Serve as a commander-in-chief to the nation's armed forces. 2. Commission all military officers. 3. Appoint the heads of executive departments. 4. Appoint ambassadors, Supreme Court justices, and other officials with the consent of the Senate. 5. Appoint high-ranking officials to fill vaccines when the Senate is in recess. 6. Grant pardons and representatives for federal crimes. 7. Make treaties with the advice and consent of the Senate. 8. Inform Congress from time to time that the State of the Union. 9. Recommend necessary bills. 10. Call either or both chambers of Congress into special session, if necessary. 11. Act as a host to ambassadors and representatives of other nations. The president also has implied powers, including the right to seek opinions of official advisors. The executive departments have developed by custom and tradition into an informal advisory body called the cabinet, with each department headed by a secretary, except the Department of Justice, which is headed by the attorney general. Today, there are 15 executive departments. The executive department includes independent agencies, regulatory commissions, and other offices within the executive office, including the National Security Council, the Council of Economic Advisors, NASA, and the Office of Management and Budget. Judicial. The judicial branch of the U.S. government interprets and applies the laws. Although the Constitution names only the Supreme Court, it authorizes Congress to establish and abolish interfere, or lower federal courts. All of these courts are called guardians of the Constitution. District Courts The District Court is the lowest level of the federal court system. There are 94 courts at this level, and each state, as well as the District of Columbia and Puerto Rico, has at least one district court. Judges appointed by the President 
preside over these courts and serve for life. The district courts are the main trial courts in the federal court system. These courts have original jurisdiction or the power to hear a case first, before any other court. The district courts hear criminal and civil cases that involve federal law. These are the only federal courts that regularly use grand juries to indicate defendants and produce juries to decide the guilt or innocence of the accused. Courts of Appeals Congress created the Courts of Appeals in 1891 to appeal the Supreme Court of the number of cases it heard on appeal directly from the juristic courts. An appeal is a request for the renew or rehearsing of a case. These courts also review the decisions of federal regulatory agencies, such as the Federal Trade Commission. The 94 district courts are organized into 13 judicial circuits, including the District of Columbia, with one court of appeals, or appellate, appellate court, for each circuit. Each court of appeals has 6 to 28 circuit judges sitting on the court, as well as one assigned Supreme Court justice. Supreme Court. The highest level of the federal court system is the Supreme Court. The court is composed of the Chief Justice of the United States and eight associate judges, all appointed by the President, with the consent of the Senate, to preside for life. Because the justices do not have to worry about being re-elected, they are free to consider the law without the pressure of executive control, public opinion, and political influence. The Supreme Court hears three kinds of cases. One, cases in which the court has original jurisdiction or that involves a representative of another nation or state as one of the parties. Two, case appealed from lower federal courts. Three, case appealed from the highest appealed courts of an, in a case. Social courts. Over the years, Congress has created two types of federal courts, constitutional and special courts. Constitutional courts include the courts described above it, as well as the U.S. Court of International Trade. Special courts, often called legislative courts, because Congress created them to help carry out logistic power. Here in narrative cases, these courts include the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Armed Forces, the U.S. Court of Appeals for Veterans Claims, the U.S. Court of Federal Claims, the U.S. Tax Court Federal Claim Courts for the Virgin Islands, Guam, and the Northern Marinas, and the courts of the District of Columbia. The People, Partners, and Watchdogs. Active citizens provide the most effective check or restraint on government actions. These opportunities get involved with each branch from support to manage and even up opposition. Millions of citizens work directly for the government. Others run for political office or campaign for candidates. The best way to participate is to exercise your rights. Vote, vote severe on juries and attend public hearings. Pay attention to what new bills are being considered by Congress and tell your elected officials how you want them to represent you. Parties, splinters, and special interests. The farmers of the Constitution minister groups of people who united to promote their own natural causes over the interests of larger community. James Madison called three groups of factions, but he knew that trying to abolish the factions would also abolish freedom. History of American political parties. No political parties existed when the Constitution was written, but the people soon split into camps over its ratification. The Federalists considered the party of the rich and well-born representatives in the interests of merchants, bankers, businessmen, and rich plantation owners. 
They favored a close relationship with Great Britain and broad repetition of the Constitution to promote their commercial interests. Federalists believed that the property owners should vote and that ordinary people were too easily influenced to handle much power. The anti-federalists supposed that the common man, farmers with little acreage, and working people in the cities, they thought that if people were educated, they could be trusted to govern themselves. The anti-federalists would that the freedoms who wanted a strong central government would destroy Republican principles and individual liberties. This made the anti-federalists favor a strict implement of the Constitution. By 1796, these two groups became political parties and nominated presidential candidates. The Federalist Party declined in power and dispersed by 1816. Under Thomas Jefferson, two terms presidential leadership, the Anti-Federalists became known as the Jefferson Republicans and remained in power for 40 years. But divisions developed in the party in the 1820s, supported of John Quincy Adams, broke away from the National Republican Party. When Andrew Jackson ran against Adams, his supporters took the name Democratic Republicans. After Jackson won, he changed the party name to Democrats. In 1834, the National Republican Party, United States with any other anti-Jackson forces, and formed the Whig Party. The issue of slavery split the Whig Party in 1850s and fragmented the Democratic Party. Those Whigs who favored slavery left the party and joined pro-slavery Democrats. Those Whigs who opposed it sided with anti-slavery Democrats and created the Republican Party that we recognize today. When Abraham Lincoln was elected in 1860 as the first Republican president, he ended the long era of Democratic control. The Democratic Party survived in South but was clipped by the Civil War. The party slowly built up its base of voters, while the Republicans demandated national policies for almost 75 years. The, the 1932 election marked a big change in the public's attitude about the role of government. During the Great Depression, when it began in 1929, the unemployment rate was high, 33% to be exact. People wanted the government to help them find jobs and take care of their families. When Franklin Delano Roosevelt's victory brought the Democrats back to power, his New Deal programs put Americans to work and expanded the social and economic responsibilities of the national government. For the next 37 years, Republicans criticized the Democrats from the sidelines about their big government and bureaucracy. Since the late 1960s, control of the national government has been divided. If one party had the White House, the other party held the majority of seats in Congress. Although the Founding Fathers did not foresee the rise of political parties, they created a government that separated the powers of policies, parties, and systems of checks and balances. The Two-Party System the American political system started as a two-party system, and the current election process follows this structure. People form political parties to control governments by winning elections and holding public offices. If one party gets control of the executive and legislative branches, it can direct public policies and enact laws to advance in the party's position. If difference, the elected officials must compromise to get anything accomplished. A two-party system, rather than a government splitting, 
In most elections, voters can choose only one candidate for an office, and only one candidate can win the office. Many people think voted for a third-party candidate who has little chance of winning is waste of their vote. Also, Republicans and Democrats are able to work together to enact election laws that make it more difficult for third-party candidates to get their names on the ballots. In fact, non-major party candidates have appeared on the ballot in every state only seven times in the history of American presidential elections. While it is more difficult for these minor party candidates to get on the ballot, they are still part of the system and many have large followings. Minor party. A minor party is a cross between a major political party and a special interest group. It generally forms around an ideology or an issue and then becomes a party to nominate its own candidates for a public office. Minor parties are ideological, such as the Libertarian Party, single issue, such as the Right to Life Party, economic protests, such as the Populist Party, splinter, such as the Progressive Party. When the Republican Party nominated Incumbert Sircurrent, President William Howard Taft as its candidate for the 1912 election, former President Theodore Roosevelt broke away from the Republican Party to run for president on his own. Bill Morse Progressive Party ballot, Roosevelt Morse split the Republican vote, allowing Woodrow Wilson, a Democrat, to win the presidency. Unlike the two major political parties, minor parties are willing to take a stand on controversial issues. They draw the public's attention to problems that the major parties might try to avoid. As often as it happens, the two major parties steal the position of minor parties on the issues that stir the public's interests. Minor parties are several important functions in the political systems, but the Republican Party is the only party in American political history to rise from becoming a third party into becoming a major political party. Small interest groups. People who share an interest often band together. Special interest groups form around a case or an issue to help shape political parties. These groups try to persuade elected officials to respond to their political concerns and to pass legislation that will promote their causes. Unlike political parties, special interest groups do not nominate candidates for public office. They are private organizations, only accountable to their members, that focus on issues, not people. In fact, they are concerned with only those issues and policies that directly affect the interests of the group members. The groups may, however, support candidates who support their positions. These groups are verified in their interests. Some examples are business groups, chamber of commerce, national association of manufacturers, trade associates, national restaurant association, American trucking associations, labor organizations, financial order of police, American Federation of Labor Congress or of International Organizations, or AFL-CIO, Agricultural Groups, American Farm Bureau of Federation National Grange, Professional Associations, American Medical Association, American Bar Association, Religious Organizations, National Council of Churches, American Jewish Congress, some special interest groups promote the welfare of specific groups, American Association of Retired Persons, promote or oppose certain causes, Sierra Group of Club, the Brady Center to Prevent Gun Violence, 
and advance public interest issues, common causes. Special interest groups raise awareness about public policies that promote or threaten their cause. They severe another facet of checks and balances system by keeping tabs on public agencies and officials. These groups are another effective way for citizens to participate in policies. As James Madison knew when he drafted the First Amendment, guaranteeing the rights to assemble and position the government, social interest factions compete with one another in public arena and actually counterbalance and moderate their extreme points of view. National Issues As you watch the evening news on television or read a newspaper, consider how the national issues covered relate to what you have already read in this Mary Badge pamphlet. Do the topics affect a citizens' rights and freedoms? Have new bills been postponed in Congress? Are the senators and the president deadlocked over an issue like health care or social security? Did the Supreme Court rule on a controversial case? Which cabinet department d dominates the news? In countries where freedoms of the press and the right to free speech do not exist, the government controls mass media. Citizens know only what their leaders are willing to tell them. But the United States, citizens have the right to know the truth. Mass media, the vast communication network that reaches large audiences of diverse individuals at the same time through television, newspapers, radio, magazines, and the internet is called mass media. These communication channels provide much entertainment, but they are also important sources of political information. Although they do not exist to influence the government, the mass media have the power to focus the public's attention on certain issues by telling audiences not what to think, but on what to think about. The media helps shape the public agenda. Even though Requirement 3 asks you to track the news on television or read a daily newspaper, try to compare one-on-one -on -one how a specific national issue is covered on television and the newspaper. You will probably discover that television touches lightly on the topic and presents brief bits of information. In a newspaper, reporters, like the readers, have more opportunity to explore the issue in detail. Speeches of national historical importance. Great leaders, great orators, and great speechwriters can make the importance of a historical moment so that it is fixed in our memories. Certain speeches express that the constituents and spirits of a people, others warn about oppression, demination, minimalize fallen soldiers, will uplift a discharged nation. These speeches urge citizens to take action, inspire, and redirect history. Throughout this Marybeth pamphlet, you have read quotes from famous speeches. Considering reading those speeches in their entirety, or choose another speech such as Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech, in which he calls for an end to segregation and racial discrimination. Franklin Delano Roosevelt's speech, One Day After the Bombing of Pearl Harbor, asking Congress to declare war on Japan. Ronald Reagan's Tear Down This Wall speech, that challenged com communist leaders to end the Cold War and foster b peace between West and East Germany. Voicing your own opinion, as it is our privilege as American citizens to contact our elected representatives and expect an answer. You can find out how to contact your senators or the representative form on your Congress Senatorial District by looking in the government blue pages of your local telephone book or the internet, of course with your parents' permission. 
Choose a national issue that interests you and gather as much facts before contacting your public official. Try to learn as much as you can about all sides of the issue before forming an opinion. The website for the U.S. Senate and U.S. House of Representatives makes it simple to contact your representatives by email. You can also write a letter online or send an email a letter by mail. To write an effective letter, follow these tips. Address the official using his or her correct title, U.S. Senator. The address, the Honorable John, John Smith. The greeting, Dear Senator Smith. Members of the House of Representatives. The address, the Honorable Mary Doe. The greeting, Dear Miss Doe. Identify yourself and the reasons you are writing the letter. Refer to a specific bill by number or name, if, if applicable. Explain, briefly, rational, politically, why you are concerned about this issue. Send your letter before the bill is brought to the floor, or while your representative still can do something about your concern. Request a response and include your return address. Senators and representatives want to know what you think, but they receive thousands of letters each month. And aside, they will answer your letter. However, you may have an opportunity to contact your congressional representatives in person if he or she is visiting the local field office. National Treasure and Other Government Structures An important way for us U.S. citizens to appreciate their hand-worn rights and freedoms is to visit the sites where major historical events took place and where people from different cultures settled or tour public buildings and observe firsthand their government officials at work. Although books, photographs, and visual tours on the internet help us understand our heritage, nothing compares to the experience of standing on a Civil War battlefield, touring the White House, or exploring the Ananazi cliff dwellings built in the Southwest more than 1,000 years ago. Your family may have lived in this country for hundreds of years, or for 20 years. It does not matter. If you are a U.S. citizen, you share heritage of the significant public hearings, historical parks, landmarks, and monuments. After all, these national treasures are the connections between this country's past, landmarks, and monuments. The National Park Service, which is part of the U.S. Department of the Interior, is in charge of national parks as well as certain historic settings. Besides protecting these scenic parks, valued for their spectacular national features, such as Yellowstone National Park, the National Park Service identifies and preserves all the National Register of Historical Places. These percents of the properties listed are designed as National Historic Landmarks. Before you head for one of these National Historic Landmarks or National Monuments, call to find out if visitors are allowed. Schedule for tours may vary and are always subject to change. Government Facilities Public buildings include a variety of government facilities, such as the Johnson Space Center, Federal Reserve Banks, the Library of Congress, and federal courthouses. Even if you live in a small town, you probably can find a federal facility, such as a post office, that serves the local community. When you visit a federal facility, you can see your government working for you. Think how the activity in the building or on that suite affects your life. Preservation. American citizens have a debt so that people can come before us and an obligation to the generous to follow. National landmarks and monuments are places to experience history. Many and endangered are endangered, but they deserve to be preserved for what they represent as part of Americans' history and culture. 
You can help preserve these places by joining a local or national historic preservation organization and by volunteering to work at one of these historic landmarks. Preserving national sites is only a part of preserving American heritage. As a good citizen, you must guard your rights and celebrate your freedom. Stand up for others. Seek information. Become a concerned citizen. The American people made by their own government, it is still a work in progress, but it bends and embraces its citizens. You have the rights, the duties, and the privileges to help shape your government, value your freedom. As Thomas Pine wrote in the Common Sense Pamphlets of 1776, the case of America is a great measure of the case of all mankind. We have it in our own power to begin the world again. Thank you for listening to part two of Citizenship and the Nation Merit Badge book reading.